Hello world, it is Thursday at noon, you're listening to WHPK 88.5 FM, which means you are tuned in to Ergo Radio, I am Damon. I'm Kiss, nice what? to be back. What's good y'all, how y'all feeling? We are here on a, on a gloomy day, uh, but we are going to try to bring some sunshine to the airwaves and have a, a good time. What, what, what we got going on, what's happening coming up in the world? Well, if you don't know what we're doing here, if you you know happen to be driving up the highway or whatever, you're looking for parking or whatever, and you're like, huh, I wonder what's on 88.5. Ergo, we showcase strong young voices from Chicago and beyond each week, a different live, long-form conversation with an artist, writer, musician, thinker, comic, uh, just person reshaping the culture of the city and the country. We have a very special guest, but uh, as you said before we get to that, a couple community announcements, a um, couple little things. So this weekend, uh, every year they do this at the Chicago Cultural Center. It's Lake FX. It's a big kind of... Um, entrepreneurship entertainment industry summit for young folks in the city to come and connect with some of the industry people who are here uh learn a little bit about how to you know build up career build up a role in the industry beyond just performance uh there's some good resources there it's free it's all weekend long at the cultural center uh pop through there uh you got anything else uh man i'm i'm fuzzy with details y'all i don't do my homework but uh <laughs> Shy track, uh, YCA is, is, that, that, is that, is that, that's what you're talking about? I thought that's what you're talking about. That's what made me think of it. I'm gonna be part of that on Saturday. Uh, it's funny, they posted a flyer today with my dad's picture. Uh, wrong, Damon. But yeah, so come to that. Uh, Party Noir is happening this Saturday at the Promontory. Uh, like kind of the hottest day party in the world. Uh, what else? What else you got? And if you are looking, instead of seeing Damon Jr., to see Damon Sr., he is headlining at Zany's this coming week. Oh, man, so check you out. You're doing your homework. I didn't even know that. I just I, talked to him. I think I might go up there. <laughs> I, I, I haven't actually been inside Zany's, and I really like to be. Word. So that seems like a good time. Word. And maybe they'll do like a flip-flop, and all of a sudden you're doing like 40 <laughs> Yeah, he could go talk about arts and about <laughs> politics, and I'll, I'll, go, I'll go headline and take that cash. Um, so word. Uh, shout out to our sponsor, Lighthouse oh. Grill, 7, 1373 East 53rd Street. Go make that move uh to that great family-owned black-owned establishment we gonna go there afterwards uh with our very special guest i'm getting the fire blazed uh salmon today but it is time we are here we are excited about this one we've been trying to get this guy on for for a while he is now millie rocking for all those who can't see everybody please make some noise wherever you are for felonious monk what up man you, 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 you i thought you had like sound effects we are the sound effects oh, I'm in the building. What up, man? Thank y'all for having me. Do you have thank like you a, so much for coming? Yeah, man, I appreciate you being here. Do you have like a sound that like you know how like like athletes have walk up music? Do you have like a sound that when you get to that like what would you want it to be? Yeah, I always walk up to uh, uh, when I'm feeling jazzy. Uh, <laughs> I, I walk up to Round Midnight by Thelonious Monk. But when I'm feeling uh, extremely aggressive, it's always King Kunta, and I try to do the little <laughs> walk that he does in the video. Uh, it never walks. My knee, my knees are bad, so it's, it's ugly. It's a stiff walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, almost a duck walk. Now that I'm thinking about it, I should stop that. I look like a Nazi. It's That's more, not the it's more of like a like a zombie from thriller type. Pretty thing. much, yeah. I actually do the hands too. You must have <laughs> seen me walk on stage before. Well, so so for those who don't know, uh Felonius is is, is one of the, the hottest comics, not only you know, in the Chicago oh, landscape, you. but I, th I think oh nationally you are really starting to uh to carve a carve a niche or a space for yourself that's really impressive uh so so for those who are not hip to you you know how, how long you've been in the game what brought you to comedy uh and, and what are some of the platforms you know you, you for, well i guess we could tell people you know you you you're a regular correspondent on the nightly show with larry true, wilmore true. and a host of other things you're always on the internet or something somewhere at some festival so so how'd you get into the game how'd you get on stage so um I got into the game as an outlet. It was uh, I, I was oh, I was a knucklehead growing up. If we keep it a buck, I was uh, you know, not because I had to be. I had a good family, good parents, whatever. This isn't a knock on them. It's more a knock on me. And you know, when you're growing up, especially if you perform in a certain type of, we were just talking about off the mm -hmm. air, performing a certain type of masculinity where you want to be a tough guy because that's what you think you're supposed to be as a man. So I was doing that. I was the hustler kid. I, I was in the gunplay, and you know, I kept catching charges. Because uh, the police have been catching people longer than I was doing it. <laughs> so uh, I, I, a buddy of mine was like, yo, you need to, I got something for you to do on the weekends. Like, you know, come do this open mic. Wow. Was he doing comedy He was already? doing comedy. That's, um, That's a good friend. And he pulled me on stage. I got on stage. And I, I think, you know how you, you're funny, but you don't think you're that kind of funny. Mm -hmm. 
I told some friends I was going to do this open mic and like 30 people showed up for the first time I ever did it. Like I wasn't inviting you like, yo, everybody come out and see me. It was just like, yo, I'm going to do some comedy this weekend. And people showed up on the strength of, yo, you're hilarious in conversation. And I was terrible. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a nightmare, right? Like awful. you're supposed to be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. How, how long ago was this? If you this was uh, December nineteenth, two thousand ten. Okay, was that day. And and what's funny is day after my birthday. For day after your birthday. Uh, <laughs> the funniest Y'all part of that is, we, yeah, I knew it was his birthday. I was doing that for him. But the crazy part is, I met your father like not long after that. But I was already starting to bubble a little bit because mm. we had just come into that phase where you could be known from the internet, mm. right? And yeah. so after I started doing stand-up, uh, I was ranting around my friends. Like I would do these long, yeah, yo, you know what I can't stand? You know what else, you know what else I can't stand? Yo, stop it, B. Stop doing this thing. And my man caught it on camera. Uh, like Worldstar picks it up. And you know, all of these blogs mm. start picking it up. And I'm getting hundreds of thousands of views. And the next thing you know, they're trying to book me for these shows. We were just talking about this outside. Right. You could get to a certain level of popularity where clubs will try to book you and you don't have the material for it. So I knew better than to take a headlining gig at the time because right. I had like four good minutes of funny. <laughs> like I could yeah. really stretch this yeah, to nine. I could yeah. stretch this to nine tops <laughs> if I do some crowd work. But um, yeah, I, I ended up doing a show with your father at uh, Hampton University for their graduation. I can't remember, it was 2011 maybe. And I was God awful. And, and they didn't light me. So to, when, if you talked to comics before, when they light you, that means your time, you got two minutes left. Right, right. And a guy in the back waves a they phone light, or some yeah. kind of light, right? <laughs> they didn't light me. So I'm just on stage. I'm really new. So I still haven't learned how to process how much time is going by. Mm -hmm. I'm up there like 15, maybe 20 <laughs> minutes with three minutes of material. And I remember some young lady that was graduating tweeted, yeah, this guy was funny for like two minutes. But now all he keeps doing is running this same just joke been going for like eight minutes now. And uh it yeah, it was it was awful. But Do you remember what the bit was, by the way? I just saw I think I it might have been my opener. Like it was terrible. Yeah. I think it was something to the effect of uh, you know, all the beautiful people clap your hands and, and then you stretch that to the point where you go, uh, a couple of y'all clapped your hands and y'all were ugly. <laughs> but you know, then it stretched the joke really was about uh how ugly people don't have any type of representation like if you have a disability that's the only disability that you can have no one cares about like, you know al sharpton's not marching for you yeah. it's not gonna be a GoFundMe for ugly people right. like look at his unfortunate face let's put some money together and get him some you know a nice outfit so maybe a girl to take him out and you know again this was me not knowing how to structure jokes just being naturally funny i could do that for a few minutes but when it came time for people to ask me for bits, I didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fast forward to me Did, writing. Didn't my father kind of like shut you down a little bit? You told I, me. You something? know, it's funny. I looked over to the side of the stage and he was just shaking his head like, <laughs> yo, fam, y'all not going to get dude off stage. Like he, I laughed for a minute. Now you're. And then I remember walking off stage and as I was walking by your father, I heard him go, yo, they being real nice tonight. <laughs> like he didn't say you suck, but he was like, yo, they were really nice to you, fam. You should appreciate them for being nice. Uh, but yeah, so I kept doing this the, the uh, YouTube thing, and then I had a video go viral. It was about politics, which is crazy because I wasn't talking about politics much before then. Like I, I did my private life, but I separated that from comedy because that's a degree of difficulty that yeah. you know you don't have to add to the game. Bill Hicks did it well, uh, Carlin did it well, Lewis Black did it well, but for the most part, comics avoid that because it's not easy. Yeah. And you know, I did this video. It took off. Uh, I think it was called "Pay Your Bills on Time." Oh, you think of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's Probably, what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it ended up getting picked up by all of these right-wing websites. Because mm. you had a black guy making a joke about Obama, which is something that I didn't understand the, the power of the internet at the time. Wow. Yeah, so, you, you Ben Carson the game. Then. Right, I Ben Carson the game. So all of us are in yeah, a they room. Love that. And we know each other, right? <laughs> so I can make a little, you know, Obama been wilding recently, son. He's still doing da 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 Well, in this room, that's fine. Yeah. I say that outside. And some guy goes, "Hey, you want to be on the Glenn Beck show?" Wow! I'm like, "Oh, wait a minute." So they, you know, there was a, there was some money offered, and it was me saying, "I gotta still live around my friends." Yeah. Like I was just pumping packs recently. I can't <laughs> be out here talking bad about Obama, and y'all know me. Like you know me, know me. I can't be that guy. So <laughs> yeah, that's funny because I've been like, from you know, my summer political position, I've been critical of the president mm -hmm. too. And it's interesting. I've never had that experience of like. 
the other side. I think they that's know I'm crazy. Angle. Yeah. You know, the, 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 that's a different angle because we got to be able to critique, right? Yeah. You got to be able to critique, critique the people that you like. You you hold each other accountable. That's the way that we grow. So as men, especially, we talk about we were talking about earlier men and women's spaces. We have to be able to hold each other accountable. Be like, yo, Damon, relax, fam. She's telling her story. You weren't there. Um, but unfortunately, when we're doing it with the president, we just saw this with uh, Larry Wilmore, you know, saying, you did it, my nigga. In a, in a room full of all black people, no one says anything. In this open space, it became, uh, it took on a life of its own. I'm glad he said it. Just let me start with that before anyone thinks that yeah. I'm, and I'm not saying that because he's you know he, he pays me money <laughs> to be funny. I'm glad he said it because there has to be a point where we stop worrying about that gaze yeah. uh, to the point where, oh, I'm not going to say that because white people are looking. They got to see. Also, that was how he ended 25 minute. Uh, performance in which it right. actually it was like the best example of holding the president accountable I've seen Absolutely. while he's been in office. Like I don't know if you watched. I it, missed it. It's unbelievable. First of all, he, he goes out on about drones. Yeah. Goes out on about Gitmo. Goes out a whole bunch of, to his face, standing in right. front of all these folks. Oh, we're talking about the uh, the, 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 the the president, yeah, right? The uh, which is like the biggest. Oh, he said you did him on the end of that, and then yeah. he yeah. finishes yeah. at the end That's with the, I kind of rock with that, and he finishes it with what what I think what people missed was the the statement right in front of that because the idea that it was disrespectful is missing the context the, the statement right in front of that was look in all seriousness i grew up in an era where a black man couldn't be the a, a quarterback on a right. pro football team because they didn't think he was capable so we've gone from a point where a man was thought incapable of leading an athletic team to you leading being the leader of the whole free world yo barry you did it <laughs> so you, you know in that context i got it and the idea is that some people were offended. Well, the issue isn't about them being offended. The issue now is we can have this conversation. So what were you offended by? Well, you shouldn't have used the N-word. Well, do you understand how we use the N-word? Well, you shouldn't. You don't get to police that. Yeah. So, you know, when I did that, that, that video, I didn't know anything about the politics of uh, platform, right? Because that's mm -hmm. a different set of politics. Mm -hmm. People can see you. So now you are obligated to be considerate of what you say. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to stop saying right. it. Just means that when the criticism comes, you gotta know how to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, but I'm also still doing stand-up. Steady doing stand-up, steady doing stand-up. And I'm doing it in New York now, which is one of the toughest places in the country because every big comic is there at some point. Flash forward maybe another few months, I end up on uh, doing the news on TV, which kind of hurt my stand-up career because I was writing politics in, in these, you know, daily turns every day is somebody got raped somebody got murdered what about chicago what about you know birmingham alabama and my jokes are suffering mm -hmm. so finally this year uh i get to focus full-time on comedy and you know all of the news shows are done and all i've been doing now is just going all over the country and trying to make people pee on themselves <laughs> you know with these funnies and it's, it's happening i had a dude almost have an asthma attack a couple weeks ago after my show and uh, <laughs> i'm sorry but bring your inhaler my chief like don't come to my show without your medicine yeah, yeah Look, that's, that's show disrespectful up, bring Man. your steroids <laughs> that's the best part of being a prop comic is you have it there right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need a suitcase oh, man, man. You, you, there's a lot of stuff that you just talked about that i want to make sure that we get to one um masculinity is something that i think we we, we can uh explore a lot and then also um your, your work in you know the political arena wow. and then also being on tv but i want to get back a little bit because i'm surprised to hear you name 2010 as your starting year because that's only six not, not even six, six years, years yet yeah, right like you, yeah. you just getting over five and a half years it's been a rocket in the game it's been um, a real rocket and, and as someone who like uh is not an expert right but right. grew up in comedy clubs, mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, you have a a, a, a a control or a posture that, that, that made me think you, you had yeah. a longer, you know, stand in the game than, than you're saying you do. Do you think, because you also joke a lot about being old. I am uh, old. Do you think, because you, you, st you <laughs> I, started... I don't know that that part's a joke. <laughs> you, <laughs> you started a, a, maybe at a, a more mature yeah. standpoint. Do you think that helped you kind of yeah. get your footing quicker? Uh, I knew who I was when I started. And one of the things that you... Do you, you think a lot of comics try to find who they are on stage? Yeah, I think, I, and, and that's normal, because a lot of people are still finding who they are, period, in life. If you're, like, listen, Dave Chappelle is considered to be like a prodigy. 19 years old, he was already in movies, he was doing, you know, uh, deaf comedy jam, yada, yada, yada. But it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago that you can listen to a Dave Chappelle set and hear yeah. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Like, you know his voice now, you understand his take. And I think part of that was Dave Chappelle getting to know himself. 
By the time I started doing stand-up, I was 38. I knew what I hated. I knew what I loved. I knew who I was. I didn't have the material, but I knew where the material was coming from. It was coming from an older guy living in a world where I don't really want to get older, but it's happening, you <laughs> right. know, and you, you start to pick at, okay, well, now I can't. We, we, we're driving over. I'm having a son in a, in a couple of months. Hey, congratulations. Thank you, but I'm not teaching him how to throw a curveball. <laughs> like, I'm not snapping my elbow and getting Tommy John surgery just in case he wants to make it to the Little League World Series. It's not that big. I can take you to Pennsylvania. Yeah. You can visit it, but I'm not going to tear my labrum trying to help you get there. That's fine. So, yeah, the, the joke started to come from a place where uh, – you know, I have to learn how to relate to a 20-year-old who might be paying to see my show. But you look like a goofy being 43 years old and yeah. talking about, yo, did y'all hear that new Future joint? Yeah, right. That's my song. <laughs> like, yo, I, I listen to Future, but I look like a goofy up there trying to dab <laughs> on stage. So I'm, I'm going to give right. you, you know, my take. And and also, you know, just coming from that space, you start to go, hey, um, I'm not punching down and punching down right. in this case even means to millennials and young people. Old comics do that a lot and not to name names, but you'll know the one. I hate this young music. These young boys out here dressing like this. These young girls used to. Yo, son, did, we was young. People talked about us right. the same way. We hated it. Why would I get on stage and use that as my joke? Right. And also some of them. Like that generation, like dressed wild. Like also, like if we're talking, if we're critiquing outfits Man. of people on stage, I was a big Earth, Wind, and Fire fan, and I can tell you that <laughs> Maurice White absolutely came out in a powder blue cat suit that was open all the way down to his navel while wearing big medallions. Like I'm yeah. not, it was form fitted with bell bottoms. Like that's, I'm not gonna say anything about Young Thug and wearing a long shirt. Now we're critiquing leather sleeves, right? Like, what I'm are we not talking saying about anything about Young Thug's shirt being a little too long. When you had your your package showing, sir. <laughs> but to, to the point you were talking about, about coming in and having a sense of yourself uh, and then having to figure out, you know, how do you craft the material? How do you how do you learn the craft of it? Really? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's kind of the the standard when you're in those early rooms, whether it's open mics or folks who are kind of figuring it out as they go, where uh you have it's that whole category of stuff that's like technically objectively funny mm-hmm. but it's like the i can't remember who described it this way it's 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 jokes about your xbox basically right like you figured out the the form a little bit but you literally don't know you still don't um, have material right so <laughs> so it's one thing to work that out on stage for you like what are a couple points let's go pre-comedy and we'll go all the way back and yeah. um but what what are a couple of points where you feel like, oh, it helped kind of crystallize who you were before you even thought about getting on stage? Um, you know, so I did six years in prison. So that's that's mm. that's a thing. And and that gives in you New York? and in Virginia, Virginia actually, which was whew, we'll talk about that uh later. Yeah. But shout out to Saints Saint Brides for making me what I am, whatever that means. <laughs> uh but but and there you start to learn how to navigate different personalities at the highest level of risk right mm, like if mm. i don't understand how to deal with you i can't cut you off and never yeah. see you again right. if you don't like me and i don't like you we got to see each other every day for the next till somebody gets paroled yeah. and you know that is somebody's going to have to compromise something yeah. either i'm going to compromise by doing more time and, and hitting you over the head with a sock full of you know locks mm. or we're going to learn how to talk to each other like men um, or I'm gonna get stabbed. All of those things are yeah, options. That's very high risk. None of those are good <laughs> options for me, other than the one where we learn how to talk to each other yeah. like men. And so, again, high degree of difficulty here with a lot at stake. That's what you know. That's where the fear, the loss of fear, came from. Like you can't. There's a lot of people still have stage fright. Mm. I never had stage fright. And it's not because I'm a tough guy. It's because I was around afraid, tough guys for six years. More right. serious things. This is a real fear. <laughs> that guy goes to sleep with a razor under his tongue every night that he broke out of his, his you know, shaver. So that means it's a double-edged blade. He's got to be cutting his mouth up. If he's not afraid of cutting his mouth, he's definitely not afraid of cutting me. So we have to learn how to talk to each other with a little let's more respect. Let's put bombing in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> let's put bomb, right, right, let's put bomb, right. Someone told me, he said, how do you feel after you bomb? I mean, you know, I don't like it. But I, don't, but I don't walk away with a buck fifty. Yeah, but my my daughter still loves me, and I still got paid, and I still got paid. And guess what? I can go home and drink out of my refrigerator, out of the bottle. Somebody might be mad, but I'm not gonna have to do three extra days. Yeah. I don't have to stand for count at five in the morning. So bombing is, you know, it's that place where you grow too. I've told the same joke and bombed with it, and realized, yo, you know what you did wrong here? You put this sentence in this order. Let's try it again the next time. 
with that word or that phrase going here. You do it again, it works. You try it two, three more times, it works. You go, oh, that was the problem. Yeah. So you didn't. I didn't bomb as much as I learned what didn't work. Yeah. Right. So that was the old uh, Alexander Graham Bell. I didn't. You know, they said, well, you failed wow. a thousand times. <laughs> Make yeah, I got, I got, I got references for days, B. Uh, but he said you failed a thousand times. He said, nah, I just learned a thousand ways that it didn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with comedy. There's certain jokes. Like the joke is there. You know, it's funny. Yeah, it's not working yet. It so also could be flip it around. Control. It could also be the audience, right? Like when Pryor did the first taping of, of the Sunset Strip, it bombed. Yeah, it wasn't as much that I, it bombed. He wasn't in a good state. He wasn't a good state. Yeah, uh, uh, you, you know what? The, the <laughs> right, but two I hours mean, later, listen, yeah, here's the thing you know? with with the audiences, and and I I warn comics about this and, and it's easy to say yo that audience was cold that audience was tight the host didn't warm them up the comic in front of me bombed but in every one of those scenarios there's been an outlier so talk about Bernie Mac on Def Jam the comic in front scared. of him bombed yeah, comic horribly. absolutely bombed <laughs> and, and the host's job after someone bombs is to come out and get the crowd back up so mm -hmm. the next guy doesn't have to deal with that mm -hmm. Martin walks on stage and goes yo that was crazy so this next guy <laughs> from out of Chicago y'all gonna love him uh, he's been doing it for a long time ripping up shows all over the country y'all give it up for Bernie Mac that's all he had after yeah. booze so right. he walked out with the now iconic I ain't scared of you <laughs> he turned that bad audience around right. it's a terrible audience they were awful they, they were coming there to boo they were coming to boo <laughs> and he made them love him so that you know yeah there's some audiences where uh, they didn't all come to laugh or something happened the day before the Cubs lost and you come to the laugh factory right after the Cubs lost and now I got to make you feel better, <laughs> you know. Uh, but look, it is what it is. You you got to hold yourself accountable, yeah. right? So it's on me to bring that energy every time regardless of what the audience is doing. Yeah. I, I don't want to rush past because uh, mm -hmm. cause you named being locked up as yeah. like a formative place. Yeah, absolutely. You. Were, were you... Were you known as the, the funny guy in there? Was humor a tool for some of that protection that you were you, talking about? You know what's about? crazy? Like, it, I was still, I was 19 when I got locked up. So I still did, I had no idea who I was. Like, mm. humor has always been what I did when I got nervous. As much as, as much as to keep, I wasn't trying to entertain other people. I was trying to keep myself calm. So if I told a joke or I made light of a situation and I was the king of the gallows humor, like whatever was horrible happening around me, I made fun of it. And it wasn't because I didn't have respect for it. It was because all of these things were just too much for me to think about. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, when I was when I was in prison, I was the serious, you know, I read a lot. Uh, I, I argued a lot. I debated with everybody. And that formed my comedy. Because when you're writing these jokes, you're trying to make them bulletproof. You're trying to make, you know, we, we live in this literal time where I can't make a symbolic statement without somebody walking off stage. Well, you said that, but you know, my aunt did this. Come on, fam, it's a joke. Like, re relax. I had this joke about Doritos uh, having a rainbow chip. The joke is hilarious. But I had a dude tell me one time, well, you know you can eat certain things and it make you gay, which first of all, no. That is, <laughs> that's inaccurate. What city was this? Yeah, let's, let's start with, nah, that's wrong. Uh, but you did second, three days on Mars. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. Maybe That's on Mars crazy. they have gay food. I don't know. Crazy. But what what makes it weird is like I'm not gonna argue with you about my jokes, son. Like what the, food was he talking about? Doritos. <laughs> like he was like this, saying, the but, GMOs. But, he was like the GMOs in these foods can change your hormones and that can make you gay. And I was like, fam, you need to stop watching YouTube. I know yeah. that's where you found me. <laughs> yeah. But get off YouTube yeah. because these guys who are giving you these Illuminati conspiracy theories are not giving you the they're whole not, lesson. They're not they, well. They're yeah. not good people, fam. <laughs> and I think the Illuminati would probably do better if they had press from guys who could complete sentences. Yeah, no, it's that, if, that is true. If you're going to pick your PR team, like you really don't. First of all, you want a PR team with better webcams. With way like better the, webcams. Just the, the quality of the video and maybe some editing software. Little like editing that. software yeah. and perhaps not all reference the same book. If you all have the <laughs> yeah. source material, we don't need 20 of you telling us the same thing. Just give me the book. We're good. <laughs> but yeah, it's... It, it, you know, so, but what, that that framed me. I really took a serious approach to comedy when I first started, and I had to learn how to relax and just be funny. Yeah, because it was all my first couple of years was me explaining things and and spending a lot of time on the setup and never getting to the punchline. Right. And then I got older. I was like, you know what? Laugh or don't. This is funny. Like you know, what I mean, if I say, you know, Doritos missed the marketing opportunity by not calling their rainbow chips flaming hots. That's funny. I don't have to explain. Look, I realized that that's a different thing. Yeah, whatever. You either got it or you didn't. Yeah. You know, you came here to laugh. If you didn't, if you came here to argue, 
at the place called Laugh Factory or Jokes and Notes or Funny Bone. Like you walked into that place and said, tonight, I'm going to listen to everything the comics say and find out where they're wrong factually. And then go up to them. Hold on. You should uh, invest in that news voice you got right there. Oh, I'm pretty good at that. If you guys need me to come over and read anything off, I do the bulletins of my church for that reason. PSAs, right? I'm going to look for one for you. Here we go. The board of directors of Commonwealth Community Church cordially invite. I'm here. I'm I'm with it. That is I get it popping. That is quality. Quality code switching. Quality code switching. I'm a, I'm a professional. Uh, I so, do all yeah. kinds of voices, son. So we talked on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked on the show a few times about uh, what it means to be a survivor of the drug war, mm. um, and Ooh. framing it that way. You know, if we're gonna call it that, right? Ooh. And so, yeah, PTSD you know, is real, right? So you're talking about doing this bit come and coming out of uh, being a participant in that war, right? Um, have now standing on maybe it's not i don't know if you think about it as the other side of that but Absolutely yeah, how, do you, how do you look at that <laughs> that survival basically uh, what does that mean so i think i think like death or anything traumatic that happens people react to it differently like there's a lot of uh uncle ruckus type of mm. ex hustlers like fam you made money off of people's grief and misery for 20 years and now you know you're talking about how terrible these ignorant stupid yada yada fam you were one of those guys five minutes i remember you bought a pack from me i i I remember that you were dealing death but these same guys will sit down with you and talk about how these young dudes are this that the third and horrible and for me that's not what happened for me it gave me a, a, a different type of empathy because um i absolutely didn't have to hustle but I did have friends who had to hustle. Mm-hmm. Their options were starve, become homeless, or risk prison time to make money. And this idea that all hustlers are just out here trying to take advantage of the world, look, that's absolutely what they're doing. But that's a byproduct of a certain type of hunger. Their incentive lack of, structure. Uh, right, their incentive they, structure is different. Their opportunities are different. Their home, home life is different. And in some of these cases, their home life is good. Both parents work. They're struggling. They're trying their butt off. But you got a mom that's working two jobs, a dad that's working two jobs, and you got a lot of alone time while your frontal lobe isn't developed enough for you to make good decisions and your impulse choices are bad. So, yeah, I I look at that world. It was crazy because in the 80s, I was, you know, a teenager. I wasn't like a kid kid. I was 14 and 86 when crack really hit everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I saw brilliant people go bad. I saw good mothers turn into crackheads and good fathers get locked up and turn into crackheads. I saw my own father, 22 years uh, of of smoking, right? And this was one of the smartest guys I know. And all of a sudden he's at a party one day and a dude say, yo, instead of sniffing it, you should light it and let's do this. And the next thing you know, we're in the 2000s, this dude's still smoking. Mm. So, you know, he finally gets clean a few years ago and he gradually has become the same guy again, but he lost two whole decades. Right. So I've seen crack, uh, uh, I've seen drugs destroy people. I've seen drugs make me a whole bunch of money, but I also saw it take six years away from me. Um, I saw a lot of people that I hurt that didn't have anything to do with me selling them drugs, just the, the byproducts of how you're living. And you, you can't, make up for that like that's the thing all these guys i just want to do whatever i can to make you can't you just live as well as you can for the rest of the time you're here but reality is look man you if you're young think about the long-term ramifications what you're doing not even prison just can you sleep at night knowing that you ruined some kid's life his mom is gone because of you his dad is gone because of you he's now a hustler a murderer a killer a gangbanger because of you you do have that you know the power not to do it yeah, I I I appreciate how, how you're processing this. I I don't mean to. Uh, oh, it's hard. E- evo- yeah, because <laughs> you too, can go. I, right. Look, I used to call in the radio stations and do the Uncle Ruckus voice <laughs> as like a you know that was a bit that I did. I remember uh, uh, ninety one one in Virginia is Norfolk State Station, and you know I would do little voices. They had Jay Ferrell. You could do Ruckus. Right? Oh, I would call in all the time and do Uncle Ruckus boy. It's not it's no problem. You see, sometimes with the, when you have one of these historically Negro universities, they the good white folks then gave you the airway, but you're not saying nothing important for the young nigglets. And I would do I would call in, do the voices or whatever, we have fun with it. But the, the the underlying part of that character that I liked was he was absolutely talking about respectability politics before we were framing it that right. way on a broad scale. Yeah. He was absolutely yeah. just saying, hey, if it's white, it's right. right. And no matter what you do as a black person, the only way that you could be right 
is to actually be a white, white person. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He wouldn't even acknowledge his black. I got reversed that yeah. a lot. No, you're black, fam. That's what they call that. That's fine. But, but, but back to the uh, the drug war, and I, I don't mean to like yeah. over-evoke my, my father in this conversation, but a lot of people don't know this, right? Like, he got his foot in hustling, right? And right. like wholesale distribution. And like by the skin of his teeth, he didn't get locked up and right. found his way into comedy. And so I know you you have a daughter who's uh eleven or twelve. Eleven years. Uh, right. And I've heard you talk about your father on stage, but not mm-hmm. too much about your own kind of story. Um and as you're processing this, it was around twelve or thirteen that my father really started to like tell me right. about that, right? So I didn't know. I just thought he was the comedian right. growing right, up, right? right? Uh, yeah, because he's been doing it yeah, yeah, most yeah. of your life. And so I yeah. actually started when I was born, right? So yeah. my life is his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I knew he was Gucci D before he was a comic, right. right? But I didn't know where he was getting all that Gucci from, right? I didn't. I never made that. <laughs> I never made that connection. Got a lot of Gucci. And, and so, and so like, must be working out well. <laughs> you know, before you're a comedian, you just had uh, luxury portions you know yeah. uh, and so have, have is this a conversation that your daughter's understood this history and do you ever see yourself um taking some of this uh history to the stage and, and processing kind of so, the survival of it i'm just through. getting to the point now where i can um because it wasn't funny for a long time right, right like they right. say comedy is, is tragedy plus time yeah. uh and <laughs> so the tragedy was there the time hadn't gotten there yet where i was still like just the thought of that sound right. i see i remember coming home from prison and watching uh soul food and not being able to Mikhail watch the see right i remember they when they came when dude set Makai pfeiffer's character up and they came to lock him i remember walking out of the room i hadn't been home long and i couldn't i was it wasn't enough time yeah. and so you know we're just getting to the point now where we could talk about prison and i can detach myself from being in there and have that conversation but to make it really funny i have to not detach myself get back into that place and think about what it's like to have to pee and take a dump in front of a room full of people and have to stand up for like you people say things like how did you get locked up man dude disrespect me i won't go take that you know we got into a little altercation i shot him word you showed him now you can't be disrespected by him but now there are a bunch of dudes making nine dollars an hour telling you when to stand when to sit when to sleep when to pee right. when to you're eat when day, you're yeah. disrespected every day by choice because you chose that we can pretend you didn't make that choice so this is a, a an example again going back to masculinity or hyper masculinity or the idea of performing masculinity if you disrespect me i have to react violently that's the only way I can do it and still consider myself a man. And when you do that, you end up in prison. And so we, that's an unhealthy, a very unhealthy viewpoint of masculine, <laughs> of if you're black. Uh, that's a very unhealthy viewpoint of masculinity. And, and so, again, in prison, you start to learn all of these things. You see dudes who would have probably come home after three years, do eight or nine, because they're still presenting themselves this way and not just doing their time. And yeah, that stuff is starting to come to the stage now. Uh, As far as telling my daughter about it, she's probably at that age now where I can have this conversation um, in a a place where she can understand what I'm saying. It's, you know, when she's six, hey, daddy used to be locked up. Nah, but now she's at that age where guys are cute to her. You know what I mean? And I need to make sure that she understands, hey, listen, if that guy's wearing all of the newest stuff, but he didn't get it the right way, y'all might date for six months and then he's gone. Is that which and, and and honestly, y'all might think for six months and then you're gone because you don't know what, you know, at that age, what you're willing to do to be close to this person. I remember all of that. I remember girls volunteering to carry packages where I had to tell, nah, fam, like, I know your mom. Like, I'm not going to, I can't do that. <laughs> I could take the chance. I don't mind. I won't have to look at your mom. I'll be in prison, but I can't stand out here, look at your mom and she know I'm the reason you got locked. So I have to warn my daughter of all of those things, tell her that I'm telling her this place from a place of love and from a place of experience. And, it, that you know, that's a there's no shame anymore. Like there was a lot yeah. of shame when I was younger. People would tell me you shouldn't tell people you was locked up. Yeah, it's a it's public record. Like, yeah, first of all, if they're in a position of power and they want to know, they yeah. can know. Second, but in that process of like that shame evolving and you getting to a point that feels really different. Um, were there any like particular practices or ways of thinking or, you know, talking for whatever, like, were there specific practices or tools that got you kind of healing from that process in that uh, coming out of that trauma? I think I've always been like a, a real open person. And I, I highlight that with uh, I remember before Barack Obama ran in 2007, 2008. Right. He had the book. Um, 
uh, uh, some of my father, dreams, dreams from my father. father, you know, dance with my father again, whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, the yeah, saddest song in history. Saddest, oh dance God. with my father. <laughs> I, I, I still and, cry when I hear that. And we're gonna go ahead and play dance with my father yeah. again. We're gonna stop. <laughs> um, it will uh, be the it will it be will the be outro the, for the yeah, episode. It's gonna be on the podcast for sure. Uh, Shout out to everybody on SoundCloud. Was was bananas is uh, I remember reading that book and. He talked about, you know, doing cocaine and smoking so weed. Sad. That's the saddest sauce. Damn, really? But go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. That is, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional right now. I'm tearing up, guys. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I remember reading that and he talked openly about his drug use and openly, you know, I, I smoked weed all through college. I, I tried cocaine once, didn't like it. I dated this, I did that. I would, And I started to think when he started running, I was like, yo, they're going to bring that up. And then it hit me. How do you use that to shame someone who's already openly told you he did it well the other thing is people don't read anymore so that's also a thing. <laughs> but yeah for me it's always been a, a thing where if i tell you up front you can't you don't have any power with it anymore mm -hmm. i took the power from you and so i've always been pretty open with it and then you know you eventually realize that people can't hurt you mm -hmm. with your own history you lived it like the worst thing about prison to me was being there you can't make me feel bad <laughs> yeah. about it now you were you're a felon <laughs> yeah but you saying that doesn't hurt me as much as actually being a felon and living in there with God. Look, dude, the first roommate I had uh, was there because he beat his grandparents to death and then set their house. Excuse me. He beat his grandparents. He thought he beat them to death and then set their house on fire. They burned up in the fire and he ended up getting uh, life plus two, two life sentences, two 20 year consecutive sentences for assault and all kind you know like just he got forever he got forever yeah. right they were like when's your go when's your max date until like there's, <laughs> there's just a line and the next guy had got had like a brutal uh sexual assault where he mutilated the body and then killed her mm. and you calling me a felon does it affect me like sleeping in that room in this two-man <laughs> cell where I can't holler loud enough if the, one of these dudes wilds out? Like, I got to protect myself. I got to keep my head on a swivel. But I also got to remember at some point I'm going home, so I can't do something so reckless to stop that. That's a completely different level of staying woke. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't uh, uh, shake me anymore. There's no heckler out there that could say something. You're skinny. You look like this. Your ears are big. Your teeth are weird. Your mom is, like, yeah, whatever. The You're not going to stab be, me. The only way it would be if in the crowd one of those dudes stood up. If, if like, five of the dudes from, from like, uh, Cell Block A We're at, at St. Bronx. Yeah, they was like, yo, remember when you was going home and you was like, I ain't never coming back? We gonna take you back tonight. <laughs> I don't wanna do comedy. Folks, anymore. that's my time. That's my time. Yeah. No, you're supposed to do an hour. Well, I'm doing five, so there we are. So we're supposed to do 25 years. Yeah, I went back. I parole it off stage. <laughs> so bag and baggage, bag and baggage. I do, do want to move uh, to to the now and to the to the future, yeah. and not and not harp on this uh too long right because you're like you're on tv now right <laughs> and i want for people to hear this to, to know Came how up. how uh how successful you will become especially only five years in the game uh but 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 it's just interesting um as i was thinking about you processing this on stage and yeah. as i try to you know also encourage my dad to talk about like that yeah. era and that time period on stage uh from the personal but also why, why i'm brought it up to you because i'm interested uh because since you have such a political purview and perspective yeah. on stage of, of talking about that era and criminalization and mass incarceration yeah. on a macro political level and finding a way to bring that to comedy and and, and changing the discourse a, a, around that instead of you know not only just the the i am a felon right but like this whole system you know it was 20 years of so the youth, kind of the way you talk about your dad yeah in a lot of ways. so the youth part of me was smart enough to understand Rockefeller drug laws and and the inherent anti black anti blackness in those laws, uh, and also to understand that somehow crack only impacted the inner city where we lived. I was I was able to understand that. I was also able to understand that the uh, Kennedy family made a truckload of money off of prohibition, which 
you know, if we're being honest, uh, the difference between alcohol and marijuana or alcohol and cocaine is simply that one is legal and one isn't. And people can argue that all they want to, but there are absolutely people who are addicted to alcohol. Uh, very few traffic accidents caused by cocaine. Uh, and people say, well, very few murders are caused by purchasing alcohol. That's because it's legal now. When Prohibition was in, it was it the was exact the same thing. thing. <laughs> so when you see a Kennedy who is now respected uh, or a family of Kennedys who are now one of the most respected families in the country World. and you're you're also in this place where you're trying to find ways to justify your drug use or, or drug dealing, uh, it was very easy for me to go, <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying to get us. Don't they, They're trying to take these streams of income from us. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. And look, my politics hasn't changed much since then. Truthfully, I always understood that it was a setup. I always understood. They call it the trap because you trapped. You can't win. Um, but what's happened now is I've, I've figured out the way to fight it isn't to become a part of it. Right. Like the, the back then I fought it because I thought I was smarter than everyone else. I could sell drugs, make money. And that was the big middle finger to the system. Right. Now it's not selling drugs, not giving you the opportunity to incarcerate me uh, and still living my life as me. Like the, the bid is as much uh, a middle finger to the establishment. <laughs> that, you know, when when you met me, I had uh, the same Afro with slightly shorter, but the same Afro you have. And I was on TV. I was on TV every day in a news capacity, which was supposed to be like this serious. This is the guy that I'm listening to to tell me yeah. the social economic situations in Chicago and New York. And this guy looks like he might mug me. And that was on purpose. Like the, this this issue of how we're viewed versus who we are is something that we we'll probably spend the next 15, 20 years trying to overcome because we've already spent 200 trying to unblacken everything that we do. Lighten your skin, shorten your hair, straighten your hair, do these things. And at some point, I just stopped performing that. I stopped performing what I thought black was supposed to be and just became myself. And that was how I got away. That's how I got to the other side. The other side was literally just me going, yo, that's not me. I'm not a murderer. You know what I mean? I don't want to hurt your family. I do want to make some money, but I want to do it in a way that I can sleep at night. And yeah, that's that's easier said than done when everything around you shows yeah. you that the system is crooked. Yeah, and I'm thinking specifically in the comedy context because there is such a clear sense of the conventions of like what black is in comedy. Yeah. Um, both like on an industry level and just on like a performance and writing level. So how do you think about that? And did you ever like get on like I started in black way? comedy rooms. Uh, and it's a different, you know, you're, you're immediately aware that if you do anything different than, uh, what's been seen on comic view or deaf comedy jam, that you're going to have to fight to get right. the audience to like you. Uh, eventually if you're funny enough, they'll, they'll stop waiting for you to do that. I, I ain't scared of you. <laughs> uh, kick it. Once you get past that point where they'll listen to you, then you can tell your jokes. But initially when you're not famous and they don't know who you are, you either going to tap dance or you're going to take quiet rooms. I took the quiet rooms. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a certain accepted, uh, view of what black comedy is where someone will watch Hannibal Burris, who I think is hilarious because of the way that he writes and say, that's not black comedy. Mm. He's black. That's comedy. It's black comedy. <laughs> uh, Chris Rock. I've heard people say that's not black. I'm like, that's extremely black. comedy. <laughs> I don't know how you could, but, but what they're expecting is what they're waiting for is, uh, Arnaz J who is hilarious. Uh, in his own right, but it's a different. I'm gonna go ahead kind of funny and go out on a limb and say Arnaz J is not hilarious. I, I like. I appreciate you saying no, that as the yeah, comedian. My reason it's not gonna be on the airway. But my reason for saying that is I I, I enjoy physical comedy. Yeah. I don't do it. Yeah, my dad got love for him too. I don't want to start right. no beef. It's not my but thing. I am gonna say. But right, no Arnaz J is not funny because it see, needs to be said. But that's but you know what's what's funny about that is there's 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 also this um this lack of softness. That we have with when when situations, and, I, and I'm saying that uh, as look, some things are just not funny, right? And then there's some things that are situationally funny, subjectively funny. Maybe that's funny, you know. For me, Arnez is a character. He's hilarious as that character. Um, but I get people saying I don't like that kind of humor. I get it, but it, it's the same thing with with. Uh, 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 Hannibal Burris, right? So Hannibal Burris True. is hilarious to me, yeah. but there's a bunch of people, people who will go, one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say right now, he's not, <laughs> but it, it, it really goes to your taste. Now, True. with that said, all of the people we just named are black. Right. Those are all black comedians. The idea that only one or two of them 
is really black comedy is the problem. So when you see Dave and I doing this blips the life thing, that's kind of us giving them big middle finger to the idea that black comedy should look sound or taste a certain way. We're just doing it the way we do it. It's, yeah, this is yeah, funny think, to us. I think y'all are finding a super dope lane uh, because for a long time, um, as that construct existed of what mm -hmm. the black comedy was, those who would go on the North side or have a different type of consciousness were very often like, I'm going to then pander to right. the white gaze yeah. or I'm going to be, I'm going to whitewash this or I'm going to be intentionally anti-black comedy. Yeah. And I think y'all still like, there's, still a, black a, there's still a street consciousness. There's still like, yeah. uh, uh, there's a, there's a hybrid. Of I the, threatened of to the, slap the audience from also, time to time. And white also clubs. look who's in the crowd too. And yeah. some, you know, of course it depends on the room. But if you look at who's at the promontory, you know, yeah. now the class piece of that is a really interesting piece also. True. That's true. Um, that we should probably talk about because a comedy club. I'll have to pee if we start talking about class. <laughs> I mean, not because we're talking about yeah. that, but because I'm old and I've been drinking water. <laughs> um, but just because, uh, like, a comedy club is inherently expensive. Yeah. And so, it, or zanies right. type rooms are inherently expensive and who right. can go there and the access to it. Mm -hmm. But I do think, like, it is something to be said, right? Like, y'all saw, and I'm assuming... Y'all saw this, this need that wasn't being met. Does it come from like being like, this is the room that I would want to sit in? Yeah, it, it absolutely comes from that space where we said, this doesn't exist, let's create it. Um, it also comes from a place where uh, I was getting, Dave was getting booked on the North Side. I started out in, in very urban rooms, but I was also working the mainstream rooms in New York. So when I got here, and when you work a mainstream room in New York, that's not a white room. Right. That just happens to be a room it's in a Manhattan. Cosmopolitan room. Right, it's a cosmopolitan room. There, so there. What are some examples? Would that be on like, the uh, cellar and everything? That would be, that. Would, I, I, I wish, not yeah, yet. Yeah. Uh, but Stan, Stand Up New York, uh, Gotham, uh, New York Comedy Club. Like I've done all the yeah. comic strip. I've performed in all of those places. I'm, I'm a paid regular in most of those places. And you do those rooms and everyone's there. It's black, white, Latino. Um, they're, they're tourists there. They're native New Yorkers who've been in Brooklyn for 50 years. And you just tell your jokes. And then you go to Harlem where Smokey Suarez has an amazing room called Mocha Lounge on Monday nights. I don't know why I said it like that. Like, you guys might show up Monday. but Hey, we got listeners in New York. Y'all got man. listeners in New York. Show up to Smokey's room on Monday nights. It's bananas. <laughs> but you go to that room. That's a completely different audience. It is a very much Harlem audience. It is extremely black. And but but it's also a black middle class room, right. right? So these aren't this isn't a black room where they necessarily expect you to yell. I yell because that's my real personality. <laughs> but yeah, so when, when I got here, that room didn't exist, and no rooms that blended that. The mainstream room here is a white room. It is not a cosmopolitan room. It's not a diverse room. Has to do with the segregation where of the black city. Black and poor are more synonymous in New York. Absolutely. So then we start doing the um, the Laugh Factory, which was a big deal because black comics weren't getting that opportunity very often mm -hmm. they weren't getting they could work on the north side but they weren't getting their opportunities to have their own rooms a guy like calvin evans had maybe done it before jay washington um and jay washington was more of the guy who had uh already crossed over he was not seeing the black rooms as much um calvin evans was working both sides mm -hmm. but he was seen as a little safer so they they liked calvin right. i was scary i don't look <laughs> like calvin is a little more clean cut his jokes he might wear a vest he might wear a vest <laughs> you know and a, it's extremely funny i don't want anybody no, I, to miss i got love for calvin yeah, i want calvin, calvin is, up here calvin, calvin is, is hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> uh, but what i mean by that is maybe the bookers and maybe the people who run the clubs feel safe with him because they know he's not going to antagonize the audience whereas me I antagonize the audience when I walk on stage. I haven't said anything. They're looking like, what, what is going on? I used to wear my baseball cap backwards. So what Dave and I figured was if we can put these spaces together and we can start bringing black people to the north side and white people to the south side, which we've done, I think, fairly successfully. When you go to uh, our shows at the Laugh Factory, you know, our shows might be 40% black in the audience. And that's not normal for that cl particular oh. club. And the same thing with the promontory. Promontory is usually 95, 100% black. We might get 15 to 20% white. And we're doing something amazing on the 24th of May where we're bringing Second City to the promontory for our Afrofuturism show. I would expect that that show might get uh, even more of a white audience in that space. Yeah, it's called Afrofuturism. And we're, right. And we're not necessarily looking for a white audience, but what we're doing is trying to show you that funny is funny is funny is funny, no matter what color it is. And you're kind of tearing down that wall that says, he looks like this. He's going to be about this. 
And once you've gotten past that, then people can start enjoying music again, yeah. right? Because top 40 used to not exist. They just played whatever was hot. Right. So Marvin Gaye might be followed by the Stones, might be followed by Led Zeppelin, might be followed by Aretha Franklin. Even 10 Which years world? ago, they was playing like Usher and Ludacris on B96 not and anymore, 50 Cent. Right? Yeah. Not anymore. Now it's all, if it's, it's classic rock or it's, it's R&B only or it's hip hop only or it's this only. And we're kind of like, look, am I, I'm jazz in the middle of the show. I'm rock and roll at some point. I'm going to cuss you out and then tell you my feelings are hurt because my daddy didn't love me. Yeah. You know, all of those things exist in one package. And that is the lack of monolith in black. The people, yeah. black is a monolith. No, it's yeah, not. It's absolutely. never been. And I'm okay being naked on stage and saying, now nah, I had them same fears that my 11-year-old daughter is not going to be, I'm not taking care of her enough. Or, yeah. or, you know, those are real fears that whether you're black, white, or purple, you gonna have well if you're purple you got other issues <laughs> I, have, I have the pee is there like a pee break yeah, on your yeah, show yeah we can, yeah, play, we can play, a song. play a song so you, i can pee i'm so gonna come right back that's, that's very fair we're gonna play a brand new track from ergo favorite ergo alum jamila woods this is heaven she just dropped it yesterday is it about peeing yeah no nah, ergo we go we go come right back rack up with uh felonious monk in a second ergo radio 88.5 show me show me show me back that was the super homie jamila woods you good you all right you straight yeah, all right sorry. My 19 bottle of water b <laughs> i was worried about you for a second man appreciate that man yeah, it's, yeah. it's the water and the vitamin b man <laughs> so we were talking david and i well you well you took a, a brief potty break um, <laughs> we're talking about potty. one of the times that i saw you you it's know I've, potty. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny uh <laughs> duty <laughs> man we made it we could say duty on the radio um but we we're talking about you know you i've seen you the FCC. <laughs> duty take that corporate america i've seen you in a lot of rooms uh perform and one of them uh recently you know so we, we've shouted out on the show a bunch before but you know an organization that Damon and sister started and then i am oh, now yeah. doing some work with let us breathe we do this monthly movement building space called breathing room um, and you came through, I think a couple months ago with Dave. Yeah. Um, and that's it a was, good time. It was a really interesting moment for me, right? Because I've seen you do what you do in a lot of different kinds of spaces. Yeah. And I think if we're talking about movement building, comedy has always and needs to, and there's so much potential for it to serve a role in that building. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I want to kind of get from you when you're standing on that stage and looking at that audience with the comic terminator eyes where yeah. you're scanning and seeing like what's going through your mind 
what are you so reacting that, that to? That room is so different, right? Yeah. Because yeah. first of all, and 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 Damon, this is a off. This is a, a love fest, though. We this is an <laughs> offline, online love fest. Like uh, you and your sister, uh, I've been fans of for a while, and it was you know it was kind of cool to have that reciprocated. Yeah. And and again, same with your father. Like to find to move to Chicago and meet Damon Williams' kids, <laughs> and for them to be super dope. And so you know when your sister asked us to do that, I was like, that's a yes automatically if I'm in town. Yeah. And then there was so many other dope people involved. And shout out to Bella Bars every time I get a chance to yeah, shout yeah. out for any reason at all because <laughs> it's because it's Thursday. <laughs> shout out to Bella Bars because it's Thursday. But you, you put so many, so many dope people in that space. And so when I'm looking out, uh, this is one of the few times where I'm doing stand-up where it isn't about me at all. This isn't about you gonna get these jokes, you gonna like them, because there's so many love in the so much love in the room, and there are children in the room, and I don't want to not tell my jokes because they're kids, but I also want to be cognizant of the fact that these kids are maybe gonna want answers about what was that crazy man talking about, and and their mom is with them or their sister is with them, and you know these aren't jokes that I expect you to be grown up enough to take. Now I, I'm looking at this audience like. Let me use this comedy to try to heal some things. Like that's just such a sexy space in that way. And I know that's a weird place to use sexy, but nah, nah, know you know, you sexy yeah. in that in that way that there are absolutely children six, seven years old, and I'm not a clean comic. That's not a thing yeah, that I've nah. ever been. We intentionally intergenerational, but we allow cursing, right. You know? But you know, it's that's that's the thing. Like we just, oh well, we're gonna do something different. No, these are kids who've seen far worse than a man standing on stage and telling saying a bad word. Right. These are kids who we, we were dealing with death that particular day in that space with, with hugs and kisses, right? Yeah. So uh, when you look out and you see that kind of room, like you said, that's completely different than you'll see me in any other place where it's attack. Yeah. I, look, you came, you paid money to see me, you and get this work. <laughs> that was more of a space where, look, let's try and find a way for us to all feel good when I walk off this stage. Yeah. That, and that was the, I can't name five times in my career where I've cared how the how the audience took what I said. That was one of the times, and I, I appreciate that uh, opportunity because that's not a space I deal in a lot. Is it was it fun though? Like is that a, absolutely it, was it difficult in any yeah. way? Uh no. You know what? It's it, I wasn't a comic on stage that day. I was a I was a human being. Mm. So it was more of a, I'm going to tell you these jokes in between me getting to know you. There was a lot more crowd work. You guys have seen me a lot. The only time you really see me do crowd work is if I'm hosting. Okay. And I'm tr I can't figure out what they're laughing at yet, so I'll reach out and try to find out. But and I, opening at Hampton University, <laughs> and opening at Hampton University, where where I did crowd work because I had no jokes. But yeah, now you know at this point in my career, I got forty five minutes to an hour worth of actual jokes. I don't have to talk to you at all. This is a performance you came to see. Uh, there, it wasn't that. It was a lot more of a hey, young man, hey, young lady. What do you? And the jokes were personal. It was really about. Uh, and it was such an intersectional space. And a lot of my jokes are that. And I think people miss them. And that was the the good feeling about that space was that, no, you'll get this. You'll understand why there's a straight man talking about LGBT rights. You'll get why there's an older guy talking about why he can't do this anymore. You'll get why we're talking about this. And that's the sexiest part of that space uh, yeah. with, with six-year-olds up to 60-year-olds yeah. where we're all in there and we can have that conversation. Right. So, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Right, right. We're winding down. There's a lot more stuff that we really, really want to talk to you about. I really want to talk about- We do this every week, the, son. The, man, we could definitely have you back on. We, need to, get, we need to get another microphone. That would be the problem. You could be a co-host, but we're out of mic. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I'll bring yeah. my own. I got some at the Crips. Huh? <laughs> USB. What kind I, of plugs I want, on these? I want to talk more about the nightly show and like being on that platform and, and blackness yeah. and some of the safety of it some of the, yeah. the, the the complexities of that show but we got to get out of here so we're going to end with one of my, my favorite yep. games uh, we talked a lot about accountability on here yeah. uh, <laughs> and we haven't played this game in a couple weeks but there's a there's a sect of the world that I feel has run amok uh, and never get held accountable uh, and so we we here at Ergo Radio we take on this mission uh, and we do it with with valor I think uh, <laughs> and so the game is called Beef with the R&B Singer I feel like for the last two three decades they have just been running wild uh, especially if we want to talk about performing the masculinity but we don't got to be too serious but the game is you got to name one r&b singer because nobody ever starts beef with them from any era from motown to bryson tiller right like the the whole gambit you got to pick out one why beef with the r&b singer before we get out of here and i have to i have to tell you what my beef is with them yeah because i could give you like 20 of them. i need one i need one <laughs> something out of love but i would i would hope that it's not all right uh 
I'm gonna go ahead. It's it's gonna have to be Chris Brown. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, he's, he's been underrepresented. I feel yeah. Like this. I, yeah. If you haven't been been he elbow got it dropping, once or twice, yeah, but, he should but, be getting it. That should be a weekly thing until he gets his life together. Uh, so the part of the reason is, uh, he's a su- he's super talented. Let's start with that. Absolutely one of the most talented guys in uh, performing pop, but. He's also a misogynist and his lyrics lap death and he lacks accountability. So since we're talking about accountability, this is a guy who's never held himself accountable for all of the Mm -hmm. destructive things that he's done. Not just the Rihanna situation, but after the Rihanna situation and the Good Morning America situation where he just wows out. Like, fam. (laughs) You trickle. Grow up. Frank Ocean, the whole night. Grow up. The Frank Ocean situation. And and to me, thank you, Tyler, the the creator, for saying the the iconic phrase, you look like you like to eat soup. (laughs) Fantastic. So, you know, my my beef is with with him not taking full advantage of his uh, talent and the people around him. My beef is also with the people around around them making them think that having sex with somebody eight years old was normal and not telling them nah that would mess you up get some counseling not just anger management my beef is with chris brown run up where all right we got to get out of here felonious monk let them know where they can follow you find you what you got going on you got to be on tv yeah, anytime soon. everywhere what, what's, what's up Real uh quick. felonious f-e-l-o-i-o-n-i-o-u-s underscore m-u-n-k everywhere you can see me uh tonight three different places i'm in wicker park <laughs> At a show, on a show called Stand Up Stand Up I'm at the Laugh Factory at 10 o'clock uh, that's at 8 o'clock I'm at the Laugh Factory at 10 o'clock I'm also on a show called Undergrad Underground at 10 o'clock uh, don't ask me how I'm going to be in two places at one time just accept that I'm going to be there uh, Hologram Game Crazy Hologram you can tomorrow, do it because there's two checks that's, I'm, that's how two works. checks that's how <laughs> uh, tomorrow I'll be in Milwaukee Wisconsin at the Karma Grill and Lounge taking uh, blipsters on Broadway to Milwaukee with Dave Hellum as a part of Shout the Cream out, City Comedy Festival uh, on the 14th which is Saturday, I'll be back at the Laugh Factory and I will also be at the Revival. So I'll be at the Laugh Factory at 8. I'll be at the Revival, which is 1160 East 55th Street right here in Hyde Park at the Revival. Uh, Monday, I'll be at Comedy Sports, which is on Belmont. Man, follow him on Twitter. He, he, I'll he, be at the every day, if you are a Thelonious Buck fan. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm out here doing it. <laughs> He's in the Mom, streets. I made it. I'm in these streets, son. And tune to uh, the, the, the Nightly Show, man. I'm up there. If you can't find it, just look for the clips. M-U-N-K and Nightly Show in your Google box. And you can find some videos of me being funny. Word. Thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Man, much love to you. Burp. Much love to all the people. Follow us at Ergo Radio, Damon underscore AF. Burp. At Ergo Daniel. We'll be back next week with another strong young voice from Chicago. Lemonade. And beyond. Burp. Peace. Back when I was a child. Before life removed all the innocence. My father would lift me high And dance with my mother and me And then spin me around till I fell asleep Then up the stairs he would carry me And I knew for sure I was loved If I could Another chance, another walk, another dance with him. I'd play a song that would never, ever end. How I'd love, love, love to dance with my father again.